Thanks so much. Harrison and the band will be back a little bit later. You can, um, you can take a seat and relax. There's, a, um, there's kind of like a stage and, and a time in life where, where you get to a point where you begin to realize that, uh, that not every family is like your family. Uh, that not every family does things the way that your family does things. In fact, I remember uh, when I got to this point in my life, it was on a Monday when I was in grade two. Now, to give you some context about how I came to this, uh, to this point, uh, I grew up in a church home. So, you know, it was pretty natural. Every Sunday, church was part of what we did. You know, during the week, you know, we'd say, we'd say a prayer before we ate our meals. We'd, we'd read a little uh, devotion, which is just a little piece of, uh, of the Bible, and talk about that during the week. And so I just assumed that everyone else did that. And, uh, and this one particular um, Monday, actually, kind of uh, this conversation where I began to realize this occurred on the Sunday before. Because on the Sunday before, if you're a church kid, uh, you know this, that part of growing up in church, you go to this thing called Sunday school. And, uh, and if you didn't grow up in church and you have no idea what Sunday school is, let me show you uh, the three questions that will help you ace any Sunday school test. Jesus, God, the Bible. Know those three, you'll have an A+. Plus. So you don't even need to go to Sunday school now. I've saved you all that pain. Uh, you're just good here. And, and one day I remember we're in Sunday school. And for whatever reason, uh, our teacher, uh, I, I, this one sticks in my mind above all the others. And our teacher was talking about when you swear and you use Jesus' name when you swear. And she was like, you know, well, you wouldn't use your, your other friend's names as a swear word, would you? And we're like, no. And she's like, and Jesus is your best friend, isn't he? And we're like, yeah. And she's like, well, you wouldn't use his name when you swear, uh, would you? And you're like, oh, I guess not. And so anyway, like, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And so I went to school on the Monday and, you know, regular, regular seven-year-old life at school. And the most important part of the day is lunch. And so we're playing footy. And a guy that, um, that we're playing footy with uh, swears using Jesus' name. And I was like, oh, he must have forgotten. He must not have been at Sunday school yesterday. So I just kind of was like, hey, man, you know, like, you know, you wouldn't use your best friend's name and, and you know, as a swear word. And so you wouldn't use Jesus' name as a swear word because he's your best friend, right? And he just looks at me. And I'm thinking to myself, like, maybe, maybe he missed Sunday school yesterday. Like, maybe, maybe, maybe he wouldn't. Like, maybe his family kind of missed the boat. Like, and I'm kind of like, and it was in that moment when I, like, I realized that this wasn't like a look like, I don't know what you're talking about look. This was like a, you're a weirdo look. And it was in that moment that I began to realize, like, oh, maybe not all families are like my families. Maybe they, maybe they do things a little differently. But then, kind of, 28-year-old me is, is thinking back and reflecting back on that conversation. You know, I actually, I can't remember that, that kid's name. I can remember what he looks like, but I can't remember his name. And, and I was thinking, you know, what, what would he have been thinking in that moment when I said that to him? He's seven, so, like, chances are he's probably thinking, like, I hope this guy will shut up so we can go back to playing footy. But, you know, like, like what, if he was 28 now and we had that same interaction, what, what would his impression be of Jesus? What, what would his impression be of what it means to follow Jesus. And I was thinking through that this week, and this is, this is what I concluded that, that, this, uh, that this person, if he was 28 and I had that same interaction, would conclude. Because it's what I concluded from looking at that. That he would conclude that following Jesus is all about do's and don'ts. And if you do the do's, you get into heaven. But if you do the don'ts, you end up in a really hot place. And it's not fun. And, and so many of you, maybe you're sitting here tonight and the reason that you walked away from church is because of this. Because you thought that, you know, following Jesus is all about the do's and the don'ts. 
There's a list of things I can do and a list of things I can't do. And that sounds great when you're young, right? Because it's nice and it's easy and it's simple. But there's a couple of problems with this way of thinking. First of all, it's way too simple. It, you, you and I both know that life is not black and white. Life is not made up of a do's list and a don'ts list. Life has a lot of grey areas in it. And a lot of situations and a lot of actions depend on what's happening in the situation. The second reason uh, why this is a big thing, I have blanked on. Here we go. I've remembered it now. <coughs> I think I've blanked again. <laughs> it's been a long day. This, the second reason, um, that's okay. We'll, uh, it'll come to me. If it comes to me, that's great. If not, you can just remember that time that there was a dude standing up in front of people and he forgot. But following Jesus is all about do's and don'ts. And what this can kind of lead us to is to conclude that Jesus wants to take away your freedom. You know, Jesus doesn't want me to be free. It just came back to me. <laughs> oh, here we go. Jeez, this is off to a good start. The don'ts, what we find out is that the don'ts are actually kind of fun, right? All the things Jesus says not to do are the things we want to do because they're kind of fun. And so what we end up concluding is this. We're back on track. Here we go. <laughs> is that Jesus wants to take away your freedom, and when we kind of look at it that way, you know, so many of us, and, and I don't blame you if you've kind of come to this conclusion or you've asked this question, and it's this question, you know, why would I want to follow Jesus when he wants to take away my freedom? Why would I willingly give my life to this dude who lived 2,000 years ago when all he appears to want to do is take something away from me? And, uh, and if you're new here to Beyond, my name is Chris, and usually I remember my intros are much better than that. Uh, but you're actually joining us on part two of a series that we're doing called Making Sense of God. Um, uh, Canon Carbs Cookle and Jimmy kind of walked us through that. But, but really the way we do things, if you missed last week, um, we kind of started and launched last week. And, and what we kind of did was set the scene for the entire series. And, and th we, the, our agenda with this series is to kind of talk us through and help us make sense of God because we believe that Making sense of God will help you make the best sense of your life. Because if a God exists, if some higher power exists that created this world, it only makes sense that you would make the best sense of your life if you made better sense of God. And so our goal, I'll let you know what our agenda is with this series. Our, our agenda with this series is that by the end of this, the, the next few weeks, that you would have moved forward in your ability to make sense of God and that you would have made a little, bit a little bit of progress forward in making better sense of your life because you made better sense of God. And if you missed it last week, uh, we, we looked at this, we tried to make sense of meaning. You know, how does God give meaning to our lives? And you can listen to that. That's, um, part one is up on iTunes and SoundCloud. Part three next week is, is a big one. We're going to talk about this, suffering. How do we make sense of suffering? You know, if God is all good... Why does bad stuff happen? Part four, we're going we're gonna, to uh, wrestle this one to the ground, doubt. Because maybe some of you are followers of Jesus and you've got some doubts. And you're not, what sure, you're not sure what to do with them. Because you've been taught and you've been brought up to believe that you're not supposed to have doubts. You're just supposed to charge on. And maybe there are some of you out there who, are, who would maybe consider following Jesus. But you feel that in order to follow Jesus, 
you have to have it all together and you have to know the answer to every single question. And so you kind of go, well, I've got some doubts. And I, I don't know if I can make sense of God and I don't know if I can follow Jesus. Join us for part four because we're going to talk about that. But tonight, the big thing that we're going to wrestle to the ground, we already uh, looked at it, we already saw this tension is, you know, why would I want to follow Jesus when he wants to take away my freedom? And a lot of our discussion, the launch off point for our discussion tonight has to do with this one word, sin. Straight away, me just saying that has probably made some of you uncomfortable because you've had a negative experience with this word. And, and I'll be honest, as someone in church world, this, use, this word has been misused and abused throughout church history. And I actually think that a lot of, a lot of our misunderstanding of this whole idea of sin can be attributed to some of the ways that followers of Jesus behave. Because I'm actually, I actually think that followers of Jesus don't actually fully understand what this word means and what this word actually looks like. And, and the reason is because of this saying, I'm a Christian. So there comes a point, right, when you're in high school, for those of you that, that, some, of, uh, some of you that was a long time ago, some of you that was just very recently, where you're in high school and all of a sudden the party scene rolls around. And you rock up at a party scene and there's, it's just mandatory at parties in high school there has to be one token Christian at every party. And there's that one token Christian at the party and they're not drinking and someone asks them, why aren't you drinking? And they respond with this, because I'm a Christian. As if that answers anything. And everyone's like, okay, well, why aren't you drinking? Because I'm a Christian. No one gets it. Everyone's just like, oh, I don't understand. And then we kind of take this mentality and we, we play it out through our lives. You know, well, when they say, like, well, we believe as, as followers of Jesus that sex has a context. Well, why? Because I'm a Christian. Well, we believe as followers of Jesus that we should manage our finances in a certain way, that we should pursue friendships and relationships in a certain way, that we should forgive freely. And we, people are, look in and they go, well, why? And we just respond, well, because I'm a Christian. Because I'm a Christian. And that doesn't explain anything. It just confuses everyone. And, and I would be honest, if I was from the outside looking in and people said, I'm a Christian to justify why they do things, I would just go, well, Christianity is just a whole bunch of do's and a whole bunch of don'ts. And I want to be able to do the things that I want to do. I don't want some 2,000-year-old some carpenter telling me what I can and what I can't do. And so I want to start with, with a better understanding of sin. Because, see, this word sin, when you open the pages of the New Testament, and when you look at it, what you discover is that it's actually in reference to archery. This word that, that's used is, is used to describe archers drawing their bows back and aiming at a target. And this word sin actually means to miss the mark. That's what it means. It means that there's a target that you're aiming for and we miss the mark. Now, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm not an archer at all. Um, I don't even really like camping, as you would have discovered. But I do know how to operate a Nerf gun. So I figured, you know, we should bring this into the 21st century. So we're going to talk about Nerf guns. Because the truth is, regardless of whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, we all are aiming at something. All of us take our Nerf guns, or maybe there are some of you out here who are legit archers. Like That's, that's seriously impressive. But for me, I'm not. And that, but all of us aim at something. We look down the barrel of life, and we take aim at something. For some of us, that's happiness. We want our life, and all we're aiming at in our life is happiness. I just, I just want to be happy. 
Yeah, I just, I just want to find that relationship that makes me happy and then bang, I'll hit it. Yeah, I just want to find that job that makes me happy. I, I just want to earn enough money so that I'll be happy. I just, I just wish I had enough time that then I could really be happy. For some of you, you're aiming for that perfect relationship. You're just like, if I could just find him, if I could just find her, life would be complete. Some of you are aiming for that dream job. You know, if I could just get the grades now in high school and if I can get the grades uh, when I get to uni, then, then I'll get that internship and I'll get that scholarship and it'll all be good and then I'll finally get that dream job that I've been aiming for. And the truth is, while we're all aiming at something, we all miss the mark. Every single one of us, regardless of whether you're a follower of Jesus, there are times where you miss the mark of what you're aiming at. And in that moment, you have to ask and I have to ask a question. And the question is this, what do we do now? Now that we've missed what we're aiming at, what do we do now? Because the answer is, maybe we could, you know, get a little bit more stability. We could maybe get like something to lean on. We could try harder and we could get down like this. We could be like those snipers in the movie. Get down really low, use the ground as stabilization, dig in with your feet, really take aim and fire at something. We could get people around us to ensure that we don't make those mistakes again. We could get like support systems and we can get an accountability groups and, and we can get friends and we could say, hey, you know, from now on, anytime I'm going to make a bad decision, I'm going to call you and I'm going to get my advice from you so that, so that I don't miss the mark again. And we can try as, as hard as we want, but, but here's the problem. And this is the same problem for you as it is for me. Here's the problem. It's you. And I know that's harsh, but here's why you're the problem and why I'm the problem in my life. is because you had a front row seat to all the worst decisions you have ever made in your life. You had a front row seat to all the decisions that led to your biggest regrets. All those times when someone told you not to do it and you did it anyway, you had a front row seat. And here's the thing that your parents told you not to do it, and your friends told you not to do it, and you did it anyway. In fact, some of you deliberately changed the target you were aiming at because your parents told you to, to aim over here, and so you're like, right, I'm moving it. The target's over here now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit this target. And, and we all do it, and then this is also true, right? We begin to recognize that if you always did what you wanted to do, it would lead you where you don't want to go. Because I get that some of you are like, well, Chris, I'm not giving my freedom to Jesus. I'm not giving it to my mom or my dad or my brother or my sister. It's mine. I'm going to do what I want when I want. Here's the problem, though. You have done what you want when you want. Or you've witnessed friends of yours do what you want when they want it. You know that friend that got into that relationship with that guy or that girl? And everybody told him it was a bad idea. People they didn't even know were telling him it was a bad idea. And they were like, no, 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 I want to. You don't understand, it's love. You don't understand, this is different. And then six months later, they were brokenhearted. And doing what they wanted led them to where they didn't want to go. And you've, you've experienced this as well in your life where, where you know, you're saving for something and you've got some bills coming up. But then it's kind of treat yourself day because you've had a big day and it's stressful. And I get it. And you said, so what I want is to treat myself. And so you went out and you spent that money and 
Then the next month you had to go without your phone because you didn't have enough money to pay your phone bill and it led you to where you did not want to go. Doing what you want led you to where you didn't want to go. And and we're going to explore this tonight because this kind of thinking and and this whole idea, you know, that Jesus wants to take away my freedom is not something that is new to the to uh, the 21st century. In fact, this was something that the early churches in the first century experienced. And there was a guy called Paul. He was actually a Christian killer before he became a Christian. And once he became a Christian, he traveled around the Mediterranean Rim starting churches, starting uh, these Jesus movements, much like one of this, uh, like, much like beyond. And he would start them and then he would move on and start another one. And he would hear what was going on um, through the leaders he left at those churches, and then he would write letters to address some of the things in those churches. And Paul, there was a particular church that he started in this city called Corinth, and we'll find out a little bit more about Corinth in a second. But Paul writes, we have two of the letters that Paul wrote to Corinth. And in it, the big summary that that Paul talks about in one portion, uh, I just want to summarize it for you. He says this, he says, if your version of Christianity doesn't make you feel free, you're doing it wrong. In other words, if you've been led to believe that Jesus wants to pull something away from you and take something away from you and take away your freedom, you've got the wrong version. You're doing it wrong. You've been led to believe something that is not true. And Corinth actually experienced this. And and to understand why Corinth experienced this, you need to understand that that in the first century, they were a very, very pagan um, culture. Corinth was a pagan city. It was known throughout the region for being a pagan city. And if you don't know anything about pagan religions, pagan religions are usually characterized by two things. A lot of sexual immorality and a lot of general immorality. A lot of sexual immorality and a lot of general immorality. In fact, the church in Corinth, you you think you've had a bad church experience, okay? The church in Corinth, Paul had to write to them to address a lot of issues, but here's just two. One of them, he said to them, guys, can you please stop going back to the old pagan temple and having sex with the temple prostitutes? Okay, that would be great if you could not do that. Because they felt that their freedom was being taken away. And Paul, Paul explained to them, no, 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 that's actually, it actually opens up your freedom to be faithful to your wife. And then the se- uh, there's another thing that he writes about is that uh, when they would have communion, which Josh talked uh, about earlier and we're going to share in later, they would get drunk on the communion wine. And Paul wrote to them and he was like, guys, you've got to stop getting drunk on the communion wine. Like you thought, you thought your church experience was bad. You should have been at Corinth. And Paul's writing this letter to them and in, in the midst of this letter, or these two letters, he writes one sentence. And in this one sentence, he encapsulates why Jesus doesn't want to take your freedom away. In fact, he encapsulates and he shows them why if your version of Christianity doesn't make you feel free, you're doing it wrong. And he starts like this. He says, God made him, this is Jesus, uh, and I know this can be a little bit confusing because it it looks like God created Jesus, so as if Jesus was like the second God. What this really means is that God, when he entered into history, was Jesus. So God in a bod, we would say. So when God in a bod entered into history who had no sin. In other words, when Jesus entered into history, he had never, ever missed the mark. Could you imagine what your life would be like if you'd never missed the mark? Where you'd be relationally or financially, where you'd be spiritually, if you would never miss the mark? 
when Jesus stepped into history, that was him because he was God in a bod. And uh, he made him who had no sin to be not freedom, but sin. See, when Jesus entered into history and he went, he lived for 30 years, uh, for 33 years, and then he was tortured and hung on a cross, he didn't just die for the sins of the world, he actually became sin. He actually became every single time anyone in history had ever missed the mark. Now think about that for a second. That means that any racist comment that's ever been made, Jesus became. Any act of violence that's ever been perpetrated, Jesus became. Any act of abuse, Jesus became. That means that any time in your life that you have missed the mark, when he was hanging on the cross, Jesus became that. And here's the reason why he did that. Not to be able to hold it over your head and be like, see, I told you, I've got you, I'm judging you now. I took one for you, now you owe me. No, here's why he did it. For us. He did it for you. Because when he was in heaven and he saw that humanity had missed the mark, his mark of perfection, because if you're God, you've only got one mark by definition, one target that you're aiming at is perfection. When he saw that humanity had missed that mark, he asked one question. And the question wasn't, what does freedom require of me? The question was this, what does love require of me? And when Jesus looked at humanity, he said, you know what love requires of me? Love requires of me to give up my freedom and enter into history. Love requires me to put my freedom to the side and to take on all the times that everyone else has missed the mark upon my shoulders. And here's why he did it. Paul finishes up the sentence. He says he did it so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. What he's saying here in this righteousness part is he's saying regardless of whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you're aiming at something. And when you miss the target that you're aiming at enough, what begins to happen is you begin to believe that because you've missed the target that you're aiming at so many times, that there are things in your future that are no longer an option for you. When you miss the target, whatever target it is you're aiming at, you begin to make that part of your story. And you say, because of what happened in the past in my story, now that disqualifies me from the future of my story. Some of you will say words like, I'm unworthy. I don't deserve that. Some of you believe that because of the times that you've missed the mark in the past relationally, that that means that your relationships are all going to look and all going to feel and all going to be a certain way into the future. Some of you believe that because of the way you've missed the mark financially, that all your financial situations are going to look that way and be that way and think that way into the future. Some of you believe that because of circumstances that have happened and things people have said and done against you in the past, that that now defines the rest of your future. And when Jesus stepped into history, Jesus stepped into the gap. The gap between perfection and where we miss the mark. And Jesus says, I'm here to bridge that gap. And the reason I'm here to bridge it is so that you can hit your mark, so that your past and all the times that you've missed the mark actually don't disqualify you from the future you have and from the future you want. In fact, you can have the future you want 
by beginning to enter into the freedom that Jesus has won for you. What Paul is, is saying to the Corinthians, what he's writing to that church and what he's whispering through the centuries to us is simply this, that Jesus didn't come to take your freedom. He actually gave up his freedom so that you and I could experience freedom. He wants you to live life to the absolute fullest. And so where does, where does that leave us? What, is, what does that look like moving forwards? Well, like I said, the truth is we're all aiming at a mark. And, and this week, what I want you to do um, is I want you to begin to live or take a step towards living in the freedom that Jesus has won for you. Because if you're honest, right, and if I'm honest, those marks that we aim at and those targets that we're aiming at in our lives, when we feel like we miss them and we feel like now I can't have the future, I can't do certain things because I've missed it, Jesus is offering us an alternative. And although you might push back, what's the other option? To continue to believe that, that you can't have the future that you want? And so this week's Four Monday, and if you're new here, the Four Monday is essentially the application of everything we've been talking about here tonight. This week's Four Monday has a couple of parts, but I want you to begin to live in the freedom, but, but here's a few of the parts. The first part is this. I want you to acknowledge that, that you've actually missed the mark. This should be easy for us, right? But, but we all know that there are times where we don't like to admit that we're wrong. We don't like to admit that we missed the mark. But this week, I just want you to take an opportunity to acknowledge those times in your life where you have missed the mark. And then I want you to, to go a step further. And I want you to actually begin to identify where have I missed the mark? What have I done that's caused me to miss the mark? What things in my life, what habits in my life, what relationships in my life, what negative patterns of thinking in my life have contributed to me missing the mark. Identify, be specific on this one. And here's the final part, and this is deliberately vague, and you'll understand why in a minute. I want you to aim at a new mark. I actually want you to aim at perfection. I actually want you to aim at God's mark for you. Not because you can hit it, but because you've got someone standing in the gap. So that when you aim for the best relationships, when you aim for the best love life, when you aim for the best career, that you're aiming at something that's going to pay off and that there is someone standing in the gap to catch you. And so that might look different for different people here tonight. For some of you, this might be your very first time and this whole Jesus thing is brand new to you and so you don't even know what Jesus' mark is. You have no idea. And so for you to aim at a new mark, it literally might just be, come back next week. Come back next week and keep hanging out. For some of you, aiming at a new mark might be that tonight you take the step and you get connected in a connect group. That you realize that, hey, you know, I've been trying to do life on my own and it, it's difficult for me to aim at the mark that I want to aim at. It's difficult for me to follow Jesus when I'm out here riding solo. It's so much better and it would be so much easier if I was surrounded by people who are all moving in the same destination and all aiming at the same mark as me. Maybe there are others of you who, who, for whatever reason, you know, you've been holding on to your finances. And you're thinking that it's you, and you're thinking that it's all about you, but, and you've been pushing back against understanding finances God's way. 
And maybe for you tonight, the, the mark that you aim at is, is to rethink the way that you look at your finances. I don't know what that is for you, but I want you to dis- decide what, what that looks like for you and begin to take a step towards that. And as we, as we bring this to a close, I just want to ask you one final question. Because I know, trust me, I know, that when a person gets up the front and they tell you to do something and they tell you to like make a new mark, like your initial reaction is to go, don't tell me what to do. No, I will not tell you what to do. Trust me, I get that, okay? I am that way inclined. But here's, here's the question I want to ask you because I just want you to see how important this is. If you don't want to, if you don't want to change what you're aiming at, ask this question. Will what you're aiming at love you back? The money that you're aiming at, the career that you're aiming at, the power, the happiness that you're aiming at, will it give up its freedom so you can experience freedom? Will it care when you don't miss the mark? Will it go out of its way to make sure that you end up where you want to end up, even if you miss it? Because the truth is, you and I both know we're really, really honest that in the times in our life when we miss the mark, what we really need is not a self-help guru. We don't really need a 10-step formula to get better. What we really need is a saviour to stand in the gap for us. And this is where Christianity differs from every other world religion. Every other world religion says, if you Uh, follow a list of do's and don'ts, then God will love you. But Christianity is different because it says Jesus stepped into history and wrote himself into your story so that you could experience freedom because he was a God that wanted to love you back and he loved you first even before you decided whether you were going to love him or not. So this week, begin to acknowledge and identify and aim at a new target and begin to experience and live in the freedom that is possible when you follow Jesus. I'd love to pray. Jesus, uh, we just thank you that, uh, that on the cross you actually died and you took on our sin so that we could experience freedom. Lord, that you don't want to take anything away from us, that you don't want to judge us and you don't want to condemn us, but you are for us. That you ask, what does love require of me? And Lord, I know that there are probably some people here tonight and that's a real challenge for them to, to think. That's a real challenge for them to believe because all their life they've thought of and they've experienced Christianity as following a list of do's and don'ts. And so Lord, I pray that you would stir in their hearts tonight and that they would begin to shift what they're aiming at, and that they would begin to aim at your standard, because you stepped into history and you stood in the gap for them. And Lord, for those of us who have been following you for a while, Lord, help us to realize that daily we miss that mark. Daily we need to acknowledge and we need to identify and and we need to recalibrate and we need to re-aim. Don't let us think that just because we come to church on a Sunday that we're aiming at the right thing. Help us to always be looking to live in the freedom that you have won for us. 
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.